there's 110 guys on my football team that would be surprised that I'm saying anything right now or even involved in this conversation. This is Gendered, conversations about the influence of communication, culture, and gender. I'm Anna Kudak. I am a PhD in communication, and I study gender in the family. You can't turn on the news today or scroll through your social media sites without seeing headlines about gender. The wage gap, the U.S. presidential race, school shootings, domestic violence, and more. It's really everywhere. This podcast is devoted to telling personal stories about the influence of gender in our lives. Influence that's so subtle that sometimes we barely notice it, but it's there. This season, we're uncovering the nuances of gender in sports culture. What you're about to hear is part of a conversation I had with two college students. One of these men is straight and the other is not, but I dare you to try to tell which one's which. Ask him about the latest Cowboys game, and this is what you'll likely hear. Cowboys are like the best team in the league when they have Romo, and when they don't, they suck, so. Dude's collarbone is like flimsy. It's a glass, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Dude cannot stay healthy. I watched this thing, and with Romo, their average drive length is like seven and a half minutes. And without him, it's That's like insane. six and a half, or like three and a half minutes or something. To follow along today, though, you're going to want to know who's who. This is Cameron. Like, the feeling of playing football when you're in a game scenario is addicting. It absolutely is. It's just it's a, the adrenaline, the rush, the the crowd, the coach yelling at you, um, and just your utmost desire to perform and triumph over your foe is like, I feel like I wouldn't want my kids to play football, but I don't think it's fair to take that away from them, that ex- those experiences that I've had, because it's absolutely an incredible experience. And this is Carter. Well, it's like the only time where nothing else matters. Like nothing that's going on outside of yeah. the rectangle you matters. You tune everything yeah. out. It's just like to you don't have a girlfriend. You don't have you know bills to pay. You don't have any of that. You just play. Mm-hmm. And just it's like you're five years old just playing in your backyard. If you follow football closely, you likely saw the article in the Players' Tribune that DeAndre Levy of the Detroit Lions wrote about manning up. He discussed the powerful ways that current views of masculinity perpetuate and even promote domestic violence and sexual assault. Before DeAndre Levy spoke, though, there was Chris Cluey. Though their intended outcomes for speaking out were different, Cluey and Levy's messages have similarities. I started working on this project last fall. I'm from Minnesota, so it felt pretty natural to approach Cluey for an interview. When he agreed, I was excited to include my football-loving students in the interview process. If you're not familiar with Cluey's story, I'll summarize it for you briefly. Another NFL player, Brendan Ayambadejo, with the Baltimore Ravens, stood up for gay marriage in 2012. Politician Emmett C. Burns wrote an open letter to the Ravens' owner telling him Ayambadejo should keep quiet. This struck a nerve with Chris Cluey. He said that after reading it, he couldn't fall asleep. So he wrote his own open letter right back, with a little bit of his own flavor. Let's just say that. Cluey said the Vikings locker room was a space where some people agreed with him and some didn't, but no one appeared to be hostile. Until one day when his special teams coach, who had occasionally made homophobic slurs, said, we should round up all the gays, send them to an island, and then nuke it until it glows. 
This is when Cluey claims things started getting worse for him as a Viking, and then he got fired. Minnesota did vote to allow same-sex marriage, and Cluey claims fighting for others' rights was worth losing his job over. Carter and Cameron were in different places when they heard Cluey first start speaking about equality. I was still closeted when he came out in support of everything, and I was um, probably from my junior year, or my sophomore year in high school on, I was pretty vocal about my um, support of marriage equality um, with my parents too. They probably saw something coming, but um, yeah, I've when I heard about Chris Cluey and how big of a nerd he was, I hopped on Twitter when it was like created, and I followed a whole bunch of roller coaster people, a couple Packer players, and Chris Cluey because he's the, the cool NFL player who um, doesn't really care what people think of him and will voice his opinion on things. And his tweets are hilarious because he's a really funny guy. So that's how I got on the Cluey train. And of course I lived here when all of this was happening, so. See, that's funny because you said he was the cool NFL player, like where I was. And I'm sure you can, you can attest too. It was he was an annoying, he was annoying, and he just mm -hmm. needs to shut up and uh, play, and I get to that. stop talking about his personal views. And yeah, it's just yeah. it's a it's a standpoint thing. It's just mm -hmm. a totally different standpoint mm -hmm. that I'm coming from. Yeah, kind of an introverted, closeted person. That's just my perspective. Um, I knew people that were like, God damn. Chris Cluey, we better we better cut his ass mm -hmm. because he won't shut up, and because all my friends are Catholic and they're and because he supports gay people, so yeah, he doesn't think we should move him to an island and nuke him and force them to live in perpetual fallout. We asked Chris all kinds of questions about gender, masculinity, and football. One of the first ones was if he had ever been told to man up. Yeah, so um, that, that's actually very common in football, and I'd say sports in general is, you know, um, like, don't be a pussy. Uh, don't, what, what are you, a girl? You know, don't, don't be a bitch. Like, essentially all these, these words that are feminine in quality and being used as insults. And so that, that's something that I think as a society, you know, we're still trying to come to grips to. We, we need to find a better way to, A, if you're a coach and you want to try to inspire a player, don't compare them to a woman and make it negative because that's reinforcing this idea that being a woman is a bad thing. Like if all your life playing football growing up, the, the negative things you hear from your coaches are related to women. Well, subconsciously you're building that idea that women are you know not as good as men, they're inferior. And I don't think that's very healthy. 50% <laughs> of the population is women. Right. <laughs> should, should probably treat everyone equally. But um, yeah, and then, and then just from a, you know from a player perspective, is when you're talking to other players, you know, it's there's a lot of guys that they buy into this idea that you know it needs to be uh, everything needs to be a conquest, or you need to take something, or you know, to, to be a man you have to exert force and show that you control something. And there's conversations in the locker room where you know like guys will brag about oh you know I slept with these hoes last night, you know stuff like that. And it's you know what other guys can do is is call them out and be like look, you know, that's, like, what, what are you getting out of that? Like, what, why, why do you have to disrespect them when you're talking about them? Why, you know, why when a woman has sex with men and she's called a, a hoe, but you're a player? 
Like, where, why, why is there this disconnect? Like, what if it's just each person likes having sex? Like, it shouldn't be, you know, based on your gender, one's good and one's bad. And so, you know, I, I think, again, those are things that societally we, we really need to start reinforcing from a young age. And I, I think that that takes talking to parents and making them understand that, you know, don't, don't call a boy a girl, like, and use it as an insult. Don't be like, oh, you hit like a girl. Because that's, that's reinforcing in that kid's mind, a girl is a bad thing to be. As you can imagine, as a closeted man, Cameron wasn't surprised by Chloe's answer. Carter, on the other hand, had never thought of it that way. He just thought, that's the way the locker room sounds. I was told when I was however old, 10, 12, whatever it was, maybe a little older, 13, 14. But my dad, who now is kind of seen the light a little bit, but he told me when I was young that if I ever, and he said it as a joke, if I ever wanted to be gay, wanted to be gay, that after I got up off the floor, if I still wanted to be gay, it would, yeah, I could. So he was basically telling me that he would physically hurt me if I was, if I ever told him that I was gay. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I mean, he said it as a joke. And at the time I thought it was hilarious because I didn't know any better. But now thinking about it, I was, that probably at some point really like drove me to do something different than I wanted to because I would think, oh, well that's, that'd be gay if I did that. Like even now, like I have, like with relationships with women in my life, like I have no, I have no way of communicating emotion with them, with different relationships I've had, and I catch myself and like I catch it and I'm thinking, well, that's like, oh, that's gay or something. But then I catch myself in that in that thought, like, wait, what am I saying right now? Like that doesn't even make sense. So as a straight young man, Carter can still hear those voices in his head. Now let's hear Cameron's story. My whole playing career, I withheld the fact that I was pansexual from other people. And I think that the locker room was a huge factor in why I stayed in the closet, so to speak. What are those little messages that you were receiving that were saying, like the subtle everyday things. The subtle everyday things. Yeah, that, that no one thought anything of, but you know, would hit you in the wrong way, and you were scared to say anything about. Really, the the use of the word fag was huge. Growing up, the game to play was smear the queer. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not thinking about it. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> that was pretty much the little things. Like, if you were at all suspected of being gay, you were berated. And if you were at all different from any, like, the popular kids in the high school, if you were any, anything different from them, you were also kind of outcast. I've always been pretty introverted, so I wasn't exactly in the top tier of the hierarchy. I mean, I was talented. I did start three years. I don't know. It was kind of me and this other outcast gamer kid that were really good friends on the football team. It was really hard for me coming to terms with being who I am. First of all, raised in an overly conservative family. Second, being raised in a conservative Christian school environment. And third, being pretty good at the most masculine sport. What I found most shocking was how similar their stories are. 
I had to ask them more about the locker room talk. It just happens. I mean, they, no one, no one thinks twice or looks two ways about it. It just yeah, like it's not policed. No, and it's just normal. And uh, like things with you know getting called a girl or a pussy or a bitch or something. That's just. I mean, that's every day. Mm-hmm. That's the language of the locker room, really. I mean, mm-hmm. It just happens, and no one thinks twice about it, and no one ever speaks up if they have a problem with it. The only thing that I've ever seen is is that if if you re if you react to that, you're reacting in like a we're about to fight kind of way. Like it's never mm-hmm. it's never like casual why, like why hey, is dude, that like, why why is that the word you chose or something it's it's never that it's always like you step up and you're ready to fight them mm-hmm. if they if they call you that yeah and it seems like the feeling in my locker rooms at least is like um the locker room is a place that's free from that the person that speaks up when you say fag like um like that's not a place that we have the social police so we can say whatever we want yeah there's no moderation in, in the locker room situation. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, I thought this language was a thing of the past. I couldn't help but wonder if he thinks that everyone feels this way. If they were honest, yeah. Yeah. But for some reason, I felt I've found a way to kind of come to terms with the fact that I'm not 100% honest with who I am in the locker room, mm-hmm. like as a person. I can sit here and talk to you two about it. Yeah. Um, I would say upwards of 90 to 95% of them wouldn't be able to do that because they still want to assert their dominance no matter what. I asked Carter if he could ever talk to his teammates about this stuff. Honestly, I couldn't see, I mean, maybe a couple guys that I like know on a more personal level, but as, as a player and teammate, like teammate to teammate relationship, I don't. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that I could have this conversation with, and I don't think that they would view me as someone who they could either, like player when I'm there. And I think that there's 110 guys on my football team that would be surprised that I'm saying anything right now, or even involved in this conversation. I couldn't help but wonder how this made him feel. For me, at least, it's almost. It's it's good and bad that when I'm somewhere else I can just be just be a football player and then I can leave and just be a person but at the same time like because I feel I feel like when a bunch of guys get together it's just like that's their time to be their masculine self mm-hmm. and if you're not regulated there then it's like I feel like that definitely is ideal forming, like an ideal forming thing. I like identity forming? Or just like knowing what's okay and what's not okay. I, I think like, the locker room would have a large influence on people. Well, I mean, I've spent half my life in a uh-huh. locker room. I didn't realize a lot of the thing. Like, if you were to talk to me three years ago as a senior in high school, I'd be sitting there going, we, why are you even doing this? Some of Carter's beliefs have changed since being exposed to such a diverse student body at his college. 
I still wanted to know, though, what's up with football? Why is football different? Did you play other sports? Mm -hmm. Is it different? Somewhat. Um, I think football is different because you have more guys on the field at one time. So, so football is about conformity. And you have to, I mean, one of our things that we would say through like fall camp is like, don't be an individual, mm -hmm. be part of the team, do it, what everyone else does. You have to because, buy in. Yeah, you, it's all about buy-in with football. You can't have, because, I mean, they, the oldest cliche in football is if you do your 111th, and if you don't do your 111th, then the whole team messes up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the ultimate team sport, and that's why I love football, is because you literally, you can be perfect, but if one out of 11 guys messes up, then the whole team messes up. Mm -hmm. And I think that football is different because you have to conform to be good. That kind of conformity translates from the field to the locker room where, because you have to have that, you know, team chemistry and everything. So there's just a way that you have to talk to other football players and you have to be with other football players because you're part of a team. And if you're different for any reason, then you're not conforming to the the team and that's ultimately detrimental to the team's success is the way it's viewed. Is anyone else still thinking about what Carter said about not being able to connect to women emotionally? Because that's been haunting me for months now. So this culture made Carter reject and even judge empathy expressed from his friends and teammates. The very conversations that intended to make him feel more powerful actually left him feeling weaker. Weaker in self-perception and confidence, weaker in relationship building skills. The environment also made Cameron unable to express his emotions. So what is this doing to boys growing up? Through language, what kind of culture are we creating in the locker room and on our sports teams? I asked Carter what he wished his teammates knew about him. And it's still weird, like I mentioned the like, feeling sharing kind of thing. Like I have friends here that I met here that will kind of go out of their way to be like, you know, if I'm acting different or something, and even if nothing's wrong, they'll be like, are you doing okay? Like, you know, and I'm, and I still, even when I hear that, I'm like, why are you asking me this? You're a guy. Why are you asking me this question? Like, that's my first thought is like, yeah, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But, but if then your I kind of think, asked you, well, like, even you? if it was a, if it was a girl, I'd be like, I understand why she's asking, but I still don't want to talk about this. Like, <laughs> there's no point that it's not right it's not right for me to be talking about this. But then I kind of, that's like the first few seconds. And then I kind of think I'm like, wait a second. You know, that's, that sounds stupid when I say it in my head again, you know? What, um, what do you wish your teammates knew about you that you can't say? Or did you? Well, nothing, because I would have been completely scrutinized for it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting, though, because it's like you're saying that you go to the locker room for this, like, identity, this masculinity, that this is, you go to that, you go there for that? Is that what you're kind of saying? Like, that that's where you can, like, release that? Yeah, just to, to some extent, yeah. But then, to, like, assert power... 
I mean... But then it's the same spot that seems to be stifling you at the same time. So it seems yeah. like it's just really complicated. I mean, yeah, with, with, me, with me there was this inner struggle that wanted to be this, this straight, manly, um, uber-masculine guy. And that part of me wants to go into the locker room and be free of the, of the bisexual girl telling me um, what not to do. Um, and the other part of me is just like, I feel like the most manly thing is to own what you are instead of hiding. Like and a lot of guys don't. I think that, I think that the locker room. And I, I gosh, I wish I would have thought of this question when we were talking to Chris earlier. But I think that a lot of what, like what he's saying, is that he hid that. You know, he, you use bisexual girl telling you what not to do. Y you hid that part, so you were you tried to be you tried to overcompensate for that that part of you by being more manly and one-upping people in the locker room. Mm -hmm. And I think, at least in my experience, like hiding that, and from what I've noticed, is that people will try to hide those insecurities about themselves by being more masculine and more of in course. the locker room. Yeah. Whereas you just said like the most manly thing you can do is be yourself. If everyone in the locker room would just be themselves, you would, I don't think you would have any of that problem. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like if a more diverse locker room would be a more beneficial thing. Gendered, we'll dig into more conversations about sports impact on the expression of gender. In fact, if you have some stories to share with us, please email us at genderedpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at genderedpodcast. Next week, you'll hear more male athletes confirm Carter and Cameron's thoughts and share their own stories. We'll also hear from Chloe again. Then Carter and Cameron will find the solution for shifting the language of the locker room. Huge thanks to Chris Cluey for the interviews and inspiration. Thanks to Cameron and Carter for sharing their stories. Thanks to Abby Tilford, Claire Falkner, Kevin Tran, Wesley Ellenwood, Jenny Hansen, Kristen Chamberlain, Anne Hoth, Stacey Weisbrod, Reba Vitalden, and Brie Kopka. For their musical talents, too, thanks to Nick Morawiecki and Mitchell Johnson. Be sure to tune in next time. Thanks for listening.